When God designed the family as the foundation of culture, He did not leave its construction to chance. God revealed the blueprint clearly and convincingly. Those who listen to His voice and build according to the plan will enjoy a healthy family that creates other healthy families. Well, it is great to see a Providence family. I hope that you have had a great week. And to all of our guests here, welcome. And we're thrilled that you've joined us. Uh, I pray that you've seen some really uh, just tangible ways that God's been active in your life. Uh, this last week, I was at camp with our students, uh, and I just uh, had the opportunity to see so many amazing things. You know, the uh, leaders at Providence uh, who um, ran that camp did an absolutely amazing job. Our counselors, our staff, our leadership just did a fantastic Fantastic job. Uh, our students, your students, I was so proud of, um, of your kids, uh, how, they, uh, how they loved uh, people, how they loved each other. Uh, those on the outskirts were brought in. It was so incredible to see. And five kids actually went from, from death uh, to life. They trusted Jesus Christ while we were at camp, which was an absolute miracle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so uh, I've, I've, uh, uh, I've had an amazing week. I'm a little bit tired this morning, but I'm, uh, I've had an absolutely great week. And I hope that you have had a great week as well. Um, uh, we uh, love the Bible here at Providence. And it's because the Bible is the word of God. And we love God. Um, and therefore, we love to hear what he has to say to us. Next week, we're going to start a new series. Uh, it's in Proverbs. It's called the good life. And every single one of us has an idea of what that is. But we don't necessarily all agree. We run after it. We sing about it. We pursue it. We talk about it. We all run in certain directions. And yet so many times um, we, um, we have a hard time finding that promised land. Uh, sometimes we don't even uh, necessarily pay attention to what the Lord has said about what truly is a life that is good. And yet there's a book in the Bible called Proverbs that's full of wisdom. And, 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 and this wisdom is like a guide. It's like a friend who's watched every single person who's ever lived their life pursue this good life. This wisdom has seen every single person go down every dead end that there is. And this, and this guide called wisdom, he speaks into our life and he, and he says, let me lead you to a life that is truly good. So I, I can't wait. That'll be uh, all of July and August uh, will be in Proverbs. But today we're in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and Proverbs chapter 4 as we finish our study on the family. And so if you have a Bible, Ephesians 6 and uh, Proverbs chapter 4. If you don't, there's lots of Bibles in the chairs near you. And if you don't have one at home, please take that home as a gift. Uh, but as you uh, turn there, as we look about... What God has to say to us is final installment of these basic blocks that are building a healthy family. I want to pray for us, okay? So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you as a church family for what you've done in the lives of our students this last week. We thank you for the worship, for the enjoyment, for the, for the fellowship, for the friendship. We also thank you, God, that you did miracles in the lives of people in our own church family this week. And we give you praise for all of these things. We lay before you our families. We confess to you, God, that they're not perfect, and yet they're important to us because they're important to you. And so I pray, God, that as we open up your word now, that you would speak through weakness, that you would give us joy as we read your word, 
God, I pray that even in those situations where we find ourselves uh, to where our life situation, um, where we have just, just a really hard time figuring out how this certain principle applies to our life. God, would you speak to every heart, even, even, even in words, Lord, that I can't say, would you minister to the hearts of people, to each one of us and lead us and the, lead us in the path of righteousness. And so we are grateful and we look to you now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the Bible says that the family is God's idea. It originated in his mind, in his hands. It was his plan. He's its engineer. He's its ultimate um, creator. And he formed uh, basic building blocks that we've been looking at. And these blocks, they stack on each other. And that when we um, have each of these blocks and we look at each of these blocks and we and we practice each of these blocks in a manner that God has prescribed within his word, what happens is it, is it gives the family tremendous health. And not only our family tremendous health, but it actually sets our family up to be able to perpetuate other healthy families for the glory of God. And so we've looked at gender, man and woman. We've looked at singleness. We looked at marriage. We looked at sexuality, motherhood, fatherhood. And today we land on childhood. There's kids in the room. I want you to know this is for you. There's also uh, big kids in the room, 40-year-old kids in the room. We're all children of someone. And there are principles that he has placed within his word that apply to anybody who fits into the, the, the mold of being a child of someone. In other words, it's for all of us, but specifically for children. You see, kids, you may be the smallest people in the room right now. But every single person in your family will one day lean on you later. And this is his plan. You are important to this family of faith. You are important to God's family. And you are important to your family. And so what we want to do is to look at God's word. At just two, two places I'm going to read to us. There's going to be lots of passages. Uh, as we look at what does God has to say to us about being a child in a family. And so the first is in Ephesians chapter six. Now we were here not too long ago, just about two months ago. So some of this should be fresh, but I think that there's some new insight. This is what he says, starting in verse one. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then the second thing I want to read to you is Proverbs chapter four verses one through four. And this is Solomon writing. And this is what he writes. He says, hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. So what do we find in these two passages? What do we find within the scriptures about what God would say to each one of us if we happen to be a child of someone? What is God's placement of childhood within the family? The first thing is this, is that God invites children to come to Jesus. Now, this is true. Every single one of us is that he invites children, you, me, young and old to come to Jesus. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, it's important, and it's not been long, so I hope that you can remember some of this, right? But this book, Ephesians, was, um, was, was actually penned by a man in prison. His name was Paul. 
And Paul was in prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He refused to recant his conviction that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. People didn't like that, and so they put him in a prison. Well, he writes a church, and what he wants them to see is the power of the gospel, that, that, that Jesus died for our sin and rose from the dead, and what it means to the everyday of life. And so for the first three chapters, he tells us what God says is true about us in Jesus Christ. He gives us our identity. And he tells us what God did for us. And then the last three chapters, what he does is he highlights different areas of life, practical areas of life where we spend most or all of our time. And he says, now this is how the gospel applies to this area of life. And so you notice in chapter six, verse one, he says, children. Well, if you look over in verse four, he's going to say fathers. If you look at verse five, he says bond servants. Verse nine, he says masters. And if you back up into chapter five, verse 22, he talks to wives. And in chapter five, verse 25, he talks to husbands. And so what is he doing here? He's saying, let's, let's look at how the gospel applies in marriage, in family, and in work. Let's see what Jesus, the fact that he rose from the dead, how it transforms the way that we live our life, treat people, and handle each of our responsibilities. And right before he starts identifying very specific roles of husband, wife, and children, and father, he says something in verse 21 that literally is the key that undergirds um, uh, everything that he's about to instruct. It's verse 21, and this is what he says. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is a principle that I can tell you, you can take this to the bank, and it's this. When Jesus is king of the home and we are imitating his life, the family thrives. Now, I'm not saying thrive means, means, means health and wealth and prosperity and things like this. What I'm saying is that you'll be together. There'll be love. There'll be peace. There'll be harmony. That even when we sin against each other, when Jesus is the king of our home and we're imitating Jesus and how he treats us, how he treats people, what, is, what he says is this, is that even if we sin against one another, is that we're going to forgive one another. We're going to imitate him. And as a result of that, the family will continue to stay together. The family will thrive. And yet, this is an absolute miracle. It's a miracle that this takes place because whenever we see a child, we're looking at a person with immeasurable worth, but we're also looking at someone with immeasurable need. You see, every single child is made in the image of God. Every single child has dignity and worth and personhood. Every child, every person is important. And yet the Bible says that every single child has immense spiritual need. Now you look at this picture and I know they look cute. They look innocent, right? Little babies, they can, look, they can look this way, right? But the fact is, is that ever since the fall, every single baby is born with the capacity, the spiritual DNA, to change and look like this, right? To where, to where they sin. The Bible says that every baby, once Adam sinned against God, that his nature was reconstituted within him so that instead of having a holy nature without sin, he had a sin nature. And what this means is that Adam was now predisposed to rebellion. And it says that this DNA has been passed to every single one of us. And that's why you don't have to teach your children to lie. They just know how to lie. They don't have to teach, like, like 
They just say no. They, they, they are born selfish. In fact, there's been some um, folks who have written about this, that if a child and all of their intensity and all of their anger and all of their selfishness, when they're little babies, when they're mad or, or when they're wet or when they're dirty or when they're hungry or when they're tired, that if you could infuse the full strength and muscular power of an adult into that baby, that the baby would reach up, grab mom around the neck and say, I want more. Babies are innocent looking, and yet there is a spiritual need within, the Bible says. And this is true of every one of us. David says of himself in Psalm 51, verse 5, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so every single child needs a Savior. Every single child needs Jesus. Well, one day, Jesus, when he was on the earth, before he went to the cross to die for our sin and rise from the dead, he was hanging out with a bunch of people. And one day he had a bunch of his disciples or maybe even all of them. And then there was a huge crowd and there was people when they had kids and moms and dads, they started to bring their little babies, their infants and toddlers up to Jesus. And it says so that he would touch them, just touch them, just touch my baby. Just, just touch him. Look at him. Look at her. And suddenly the disciples, they turned into the bouncers. Now, Jesus didn't ask him to do this, but they like turn their hat around backwards so they can get all up into people's face and like, what are you doing? And it says that they began to rebuke these moms and dads for bringing their kids up to Jesus to have them touch them. And you know what Jesus says? <laughs> Jesus responds to him. He goes, look, you guys are stopping them in the name of important things that are happening here. I mean, I can see, like, just imagine what these, what these disciples, like, what must have come out of their mouth for the Bible to interpret what they said as they rebuked the parents. Probably something like, now look, significant things are happening here. Big things are happening here. Adult things, spiritual things are happening. You need to get these kids out of here. They're a distraction to the significant things that are happening. And Jesus comes in and he goes, no, no, no. Let the children come to me. Let them come to me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. You you see what he just said? He said, my kingdom is custom built for kids. If you want to get in, you got to be like them. Their faith, the, the sincerity and the simplicity of their faith is the necessary ingredient to enter. So don't get in their way. Be like them. You have to come. You see, kids of all ages in this room, I want you to know that if you will believe in Jesus Christ and repent of your sin, that you will be forgiven of your sin. The Bible says that Jesus, after this, that he went to a cross in order to die for our sin. He was then buried and he rose from the dead, inviting every single person to believe in him. And if we admit, acknowledge, I cannot save myself. And we believe in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe you can save me because you're the son of God. And if we confess him as Lord of our life, the Bible says that we will be forgiven of our sin. It says that we will also be brought, literally adopted into his family. Now, what's the point? The point is this. Joining his family is the first step to health in yours. And this is true of moms and dads and kids, everybody. Coming to Jesus' family, that's the point of life, is the very first step 
to finding health in yours. And so Jesus invites children to come to Jesus. The second thing we see here in Ephesians is that God commands children to honor their parents. To honor their parents. Now he begins not with honor, but with obedience. It's interesting that he does this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now we all know that it's right. Every single one of us sees when children disobey, we naturally look and go, that's not right. Every culture in every land throughout all time, there is something literally etched into the conscience, the soul of all humanity that looks at a little child. And when a little child rebels against mom and dad, we all look and we think that's not right. That's not right. I mean, think about it this way. Let's just say that someone in the very back corner, there's a little family back here, okay? And, uh, and they got a little kid and the little kid starts yelling right now. Okay, like right now, they just start yelling. Okay. And so we can all hear mom and dad go, shh, you got to stop. Shh, 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 shh. Not now, not now, not now. And suddenly child gets a little bit more enraged. Right. And so they, they throw the Bible at somebody, they stand up and they run out of the row. And now mom and dad are chasing them and they, and, and they go all the way down, the, down, down the back here. Right. And mom and dad go, come back here, come back here. You got to come here. You got to stop. And we're all looking. Right. All of a sudden, child makes it all the way up, right? They come over, they slam into the drums, they take this little guitar, they slam it on the ground, and they do a cannonball into the baptistry, okay? <laughs> uh, what, what would we think at that very moment? Well, first of all, we go, well, that's the most memorable thing that, that, that we got today. That was it. That's the only thing I'm going to remember a year from now. But the other thing we would all do is say, you know, that wasn't right. We may also buy mom and dad a little mocha, a little back rub, say it's going to be okay, it's okay, we still love you, we still love him. The fact, though, is that every single one of us knows that's wrong, and we know it instinctively. And Jesus knows it as well. Paul knows Jesus knows this, and that's why Paul writes in another book, he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Jesus was obedient to his parents, and he's pleased when we're obedient, when we're little, to our parents. Now, however, Paul knows the world is messed up. He knows that things are broken. He knows that families are fractured. He knows that some kids have to choose between obeying mom and dad and obeying Jesus because mom and dad are instructing things that violate Jesus' word. He knows that it's, it's not a perfect place. And so what he has here is he has something that is written on the heart of every single person. And that is that it's important for little children to obey their parents. But he can also think of scenarios like every single one of us can to where it may be the best interest of the child not to obey their parent. Because in obeying the parent, they would be disobeying God. If the parent was evil enough to instruct them to sin against God. It happens in the world every day. And so he's looking for something. He has something of value that's like held in a cardboard box. He's, he's, he's at the beach and everywhere it's sand and it's wet and he knows he can't put it down anywhere. Just obey and, it, and suddenly he sees and he looks over into the distance and there's these 10 foundational pillars. They're called the 10 commandments. And there he remembers that the fifth one says, honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you. And you live long in the land. Now, what's he doing here? This is, this is so important that you understand this, because if not, you're never going to be able to distinguish honor from everything of, from all the ways that you seek to honor them. And, and, and in a broken family, you can honor, and there's other things that you may not be able to do, like obey. 
You'll be really confused if you don't understand there's a difference between these. And so watch this, okay? He runs to Exodus 20, 12, the fifth commandment. Now, each of these 10 commandments, they're a little different from the other instructions in the Bible in that they're, 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 there's absolutely nothing about them that are cultural. They're, they're moral absolutes for every culture, for every person, for all time. It is always the right thing to honor your father and your mother. It is never the right thing to bow down before an idol. It doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter. And so when God is framing, when he's choosing 10 commandments that literally every culture, every society can be built upon, he says, honor your father and your mother. You see, God knew that some kids would grow up with unstable parents. And so in the 10 commandments, he doesn't say, trust your parents. God knew that some kids would grow up with foolish parents. And so he never says, admire your parents. And he even knows that some kids will grow up with evil, unbelieving parents. And so in the Ten Commandments, he doesn't say, obey your parents. Go, no, God commanded honor. Honor can be given to any parent, even one you can't trust, admire, or obey. Honor is a decision to treat our parents with loyalty and respect. Now, for most of us in this room, for sure, is that our parents are not instructing us to sin. And so if you're a little child, the correct application to how you honor them when you're a little person is that you obey them. Only in the case of your parent specifically asking you to sin against God, would you, even as a child, say, I I can't do that. I can still honor you and how I'm going to talk to you about how I'm not going to do that, but I can't do that. And so what are some other areas? And so Paul gives us the foundation, which is honor your father and your mother. He gives little children one application, right, which is to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But what are some other things for the rest of us? that other ways that we honor our father and mother, what are some of the other applications? I want to give you five of them. The first is this, is let's show honor by forgiving them. We show honor, we confer honor by forgiveness. You see, every single parent is imperfect. Every parent has hurt their children, whether through their impatience or through their rudeness or through their selfishness, their rashness with their words or their looks or their actions. And so every single one of us, we can remember when a parent did something that was wrong, when their actions splashed up against us. And every parent in the room can remember times when our actions sinfully splashed up on our kids. And so there's a problem there because we need to reconcile. Well, there's a lot of people, maybe even in the room right now, who say, I just cannot forgive. I don't want a relationship with my parents. And that's a really difficult thing. You see, what forgiveness does in a broken relationship is it confers honor by saying, I still want to relate to you. We honor our parents by extending grace so that the relationship can continue. And you have to understand that forgiveness doesn't always make things new. It doesn't mean that you now admire them or even that you now trust them or you trust their words. But what it does do is it releases the anger and it confers honor. We have a hard time releasing our anger because for a lot of us, somebody has done something to us. We feel it. We respond to that feeling in such ways that they create patterns. And if we were ever to give up the anger of that behavior to us, we would have nothing to hold on to that explains our patterns. 
patterns that are literally shaping our life and even future generations. And so some of us would rather just choose to have no relationship with our parent whatsoever than to release that anger and confer honor upon them to say, you're still important to me. You failed, but you're still important. I want to honor you. Jesus says to us, forgive. Paul writes it down in chapter 4, verse 32, and he says, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Now, if you think back to the last point, right, that when Jesus is king of the home and we are imitating his life, the family thrives. Think of how many times Jesus has forgiven you. He's released the anger and he's conferred honor upon you and me by saying, I still want a relationship with you. And so we take what we received and we give it to our parents. And in doing so, we honor them even in their imperfection. The second thing or the second way that we can show honor is by including them, is including them. You see, if you're an adult and your parents are wise, they will stop giving you instructions to obey. Now, we don't necessarily know the age when that happens, right? You must go to bed right now. Get up now. We, 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 but my mom didn't call me last night and say, go to bed, okay? And, and for many of us, that didn't happen for you either. However, even though they stop giving instructions to obey, they still long to stay connected. So you look at a picture like this, right? And grandpa doesn't have to be invited. Maybe this is a vacation. Maybe it's just a day at the park. Maybe he's the one who, who started it. But, but he, here's my point. We honor our parents by inviting them into our lives. Even if they live far away, we call them and we say, I want to invite you into what's happening in my life. We're about to buy a house. So-and-so is going to go to this school. We're telling them what's happening in our life. We're inviting them to, to participate. We may be even inviting them on a vacation or to invite them to our house or to invite them into a big decision that we're making, to invite them to pray. We honor our parents by including them. The third way that we can honor them to show honor is by speaking highly of them. Every single one of us know that our words they, they, they become the invitation for others to think in one direction or another about who we're talking about, including our parents. And so our words become the window that someone else can look into to learn something about a person that you're talking about. And so what do you say about your parents in the presence of other people? Are you giving them a window to think highly of your parents or to think low, lowly of your parents. It's an interesting thing because our parents are imperfect. There's lots of stories that we could tell. The fact is, though, is that even if they were really, really bad parents, there's still something that we can find that's noble. We can be and just and be and, and say, well, they were made in the image of God. Okay, that's all I got for you. All right, well, go there. Right. There's, there's some nobility there. There's honor that's there. We can all tell stories that just defame and push down our parents. Our kids can all tell stories that defame and push us down. You see, it's interesting that when, when obviously, uh, my role in my job is, might be a little different than yours in that, in that I tell stories a lot to, to try to help you to understand something of the scripture. But you may not have recognized this, but in 20 years of doing this, uh, there has never been a time that I've told a story to where, uh, where, where Tabitha was the bad person in the story. You may not have noticed that, but 
That's intentional. It's not that she's perfect. It's that I want to confer honor. I want you to think highly of her. And it's the same thing with my parents. The fact is, is that I had good parents, really good parents. They loved me and they were faithful, but they weren't perfect parents. But it's interesting is that there's a, there's a decision that we can make to tell other things or other people about our parents. And what we choose is going to shape other people's appreciation of who they are as a person. And so one way to honor them is to speak highly of them. If they were a horrible parent, you're not lying by simply saying they're an image bearer of God. The fourth way that we can honor our parents, the show honor, is by communicating with them. To communicate, talking and listening. Both talking and listening takes effort. It takes creativity. It takes attention. And it also takes sacrifice. There's something else that we can be doing at that time. And as we age, it's important for us to understand that listening does not mean that we must obey their words. Some of you, it's like your parents are so controlling, even as an adult, that you just, I can't even talk to them because they just, they just, con- they're always trying to control. You can be the filter in that though, and even confer honor by talking to them. But then what you can do is simply this. See, listening is simply showing respect for the lessons that they think that they've learned and considering if their findings apply to our life. Keep in mind that even the lousiest parent knows a lot. There's always something that we can learn. And when we take the time to call them, when we take the time to write them, when we take the time to sit down and talk to them, it confers honor to them. It's a blessing. And the last thing is this, is let's show honor by supporting them. By supporting them. You see, one of the things about life that you learn the older you get is that it is, life is terribly humbling. You see, we begin totally dependent upon our parents. We come out, we've got no clothes on, we're cold, we're little, we need a blanket, we eat soft foods, right? we wear a diaper, we just look at the other side of the room and just long to get over there. How can I get over there? I have no ability to get over there. And the sad thing about for most of us is that's pretty much how life ends. We're cold and just wish I could get over there and Waking up at two in the morning and, and it, it's just, it's hard. It's humbling. You see, as we grow up and become more independent from our, from our parents, our parents grow old and become more dependent upon us. And so let me just give you a few thoughts here. The first thing is I would encourage you to respect your parents' age. They earned every one of them. I would encourage you not to mock their limitations or the wear and tear upon their body, some of which came from sacrificing for you. It's interesting, at a low point of David's life, he wrote in Psalm 71, verse 9. This is what he said. He says, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. You see what he's saying? Like most aging parents, he feared being old and alone. So I don't have these on the screen, but there's four very specific ways I can think of that you can support your parents as they age. The first is this, is we support our parents by protecting their dignity. As you get old, you go to places that don't always think about their dignity, whether it's a nursing home or a hospital. Their body, their mind, their things, 
They may not have the ability or the capacity to protect their own dignity, and so they rely upon you. And so this is an opportunity for you to continue to confer honor upon them by protecting their dignity. The second thing is like you see in this picture is to give them assurance that we will not forsake them when we get old or when they get old is to sit down, maybe to hold their hands, young hands and old hands and say, I want you to know I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to forsake you. It's a way that we show honor and supporting them. The third is by protecting their essential joys. Every person has a joy. You need to find what your parents is. It may be that when you pick up the phone, they call. Have you ever thought that when they call, when you pick up the phone, is the highlight of their whole day? You look at it, I don't have time to talk right now, right? Well, that, that's an essential joy. It's, it's something that's important to them. It may be art. I don't know what it is, but it's an opportunity to identify what, what is it in this life that, that they're happy, that makes them happy, and to protect that essential joy. And the last thing is by providing for them in their basic needs to provide for the basic needs. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, it says that we as children have an obligation to basically return the favor that is our parents provided everything for us for many, many, many years as we get to the place at the end where we have the privilege to provide for them at the end of their years. And so God has called us to come to Jesus. He's called us to honor our parents. And the third thing is this, is God calls children to prepare to lead the next generation of families, to prepare to lead the next generation of families. And this is that Proverbs passage that I read, Proverbs chapter four, when he says here, O sons, a father's instruction to be attentive that you may gain insight for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Now, where did he learn all this stuff? Verse three, when I was a son with my father, tender and the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me. And so this is the pattern that you find here is that Solomon is giving instruction that he first heard because dad, his dad, David, instructed him when he was little. And both of these dads are practicing exactly what the law of Moses said, which was love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You see, God's plan is for one generation to prepare the next generation to lead the next generation. It's like passing a baton that falls to the children who are next in line. Right now, those of you who are children, you have the most strength, you have the most energy. And so when you get the baton from a parent who's winded there at the end, a grandparent's like someone else has to run. You have to understand in all of your strength and in all of your energy, one day you are to be a parent and one day you will be the grandparent. And so you have an obligation right now to prepare yourself to look at biblical manhood and womanhood and marriage and sexuality and singleness and fatherhood and motherhood and to say, I want to emulate the best of what I see. I want to learn how to become these things. I don't want the baton to be placed in my hand and for me to drop it. What happens when one generation collectively drops this ball? Judges chapter two, verse 10 says, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Judges is the, to me, it's the worst book in the whole Bible. If you're looking for encouragement of how to live, it is a devastation of a book that simply says, this is what happens when there's no king in the home, when there's no king in the country, when there's no king of Jesus in our heart and everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. And so this is, 
This is what the family is built. God created building blocks to be built up. So that the last generation becomes the first generation of the next family. And families continue to perpetuate themselves one after next for the glory of God. So kids, you are next in line. And what you do in preparing for this baton is absolutely critical. And if you do not have a model to follow in your own home, Jesus can give you what is needed in order to build again, to start a new legacy. And we as your church family, we want to be able to help you. So I have one final application that really covers the entire series that we've talked about over the last seven weeks. And it's this. Providence, let's agree with God about our families in order to point people to his family. Let's agree with God about our families, everything that we've learned, everything that he said about families, in order to point people to his family. You see, as much as we desire health in our own family, we need to remember that God has built the family specifically to point to his family. I know this may sound strange, but your family's not the point of this deal. Oh, it's important, but it's not the point. The point is his family. You see, if you want to see what God's doing in the world, this is what he says he's doing. Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is his plan. He wants the knowledge of his glory to literally fill the hearts of every country and every city and every heart throughout the entire world just as the water covers the whole sea. He desires for his fame to be spread to the ends of the earth. This is his master plan, and this is why he created the family. It wasn't simply to give us encouragement, to give us instruction, though all of that is true. But all of that encouragement and all of that instruction and all of that leadership and all of that protection and all of that provision and all of that pleasure, all of it is pointed and directed specifically to Help other people to say, do you see what all of this is about? It's about his family. It's about coming to Jesus Christ. You see, knowing God and being reconciled to his family is what manhood and womanhood and singleness and marriage and sexuality and motherhood and fatherhood and childhood is all about. And so I urge you, church family, to embrace the truths that we have read in God's word. Let's build healthy families that in time perpetuate other healthy families. And let's do it all as part of the rescue mission that God is on to bring people into his family. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for your mercy that's been poured out to us. We confess to you once again, God, that our families are not perfect and we know they never will be. But we thank you that your grace is stronger still. And so I pray that in the areas that we've looked at today, that you would give clarity and insight to each of our hearts in knowing what to do with this, how to apply it. I pray, Father, now, as your word tells us, God, that you desire for your glory, the knowledge of your glory to to literally fill up the entire earth. That is our aim. That is why we had 100 people on the stage this morning, God. That is why we give to you now in order to use these monies as a propellant to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. And that is why we sing to you now. It's because Jesus Christ, you are worthy. You are worthy of our life. You are worthy of our love. And we thank you for adopting us into your family. So God, would you do the miracle in our life of helping us to believe and respond in faith. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.